chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. Good morning, guys. Welcome to the Ensense Podcast. That is perkier than I feel right now, frankly. And there goes all the wind out of your sails. <laughs> so oh, it's my gosh. In the afternoon. It, it took you like 10 seconds. Uh, we are in the really fun crunch that happens when you get to produce a magazine and you are going to print a new issue. So that's why we're tired. It's crazy how far out it happens, right? Like we're, we're aiming for a launch in like late September, but it's the end of July and we are already hitting several different crunches on the creative build side of things. And one of the things that happens around these issues, it, we have all these conversations. We have to cut an incredible amount of content from these magazines there are all these small parts of the magazine that never make it out there to you guys. And so we thought, hey, let's grab a short window in the recording studio and just go, volume three, we're in production. What are pieces that are, that, you know, you already think may not make it into the completed artifact that are exciting to you in this upcoming issue? Woof. It's almost hard to tell right now what's going to end up getting lost because like I personally, I just can't, we have how many different lists? We've got like three or four different lists of articles and from those we whittle down things that are a good fit from the past, things that we need to be writing for this new one, people we want contributing. Um, and it ends up being this really interesting juggling act where these magazines are meant to feel both weighty and light. It's meant to feel like something that you can leave on a coffee table and you don't always have to be instructed. Sometimes it's just a great adventure story. There's editing decisions there where you're like, this is a phenomenal interview. Um, there's one, I don't think it's actually, I think it got cut. Uh, what's the guy's name? Brett Axon with the stone sheep. Oh my gosh. Like phenomenal hunting story gets visited by the Holy spirit and his father in a dream who guides him to where he's going to, find the stone sheep he's Let looking for. Let me just for. nutshell that one because that one's crazy. I mean, that was sort of the nutshell. Though. Even I, just a few more pieces. So crack open that nutshell. I'm going to make a bigger nut. And it just goes, we have a friend. He's hunted all over the world. He loved hunting with his dad. And one of sort of his missions uh, in his life as a hunter was to do the Grand Slam, where you get all species, I think there's four, all four species, doll, Rocky Mountain, stone, desert, all four species of bighorn in North America. And he was finishing it out, and he goes 22 days in Alaska, he loses 30 pounds in the course of this backcountry hunt, it's the last day, and he's been evangelizing like crazy to his two guides, not like sharing the ad campaign of Jesus, but talking out of 
his life with God going, the Holy Spirit told us to go this way. Yeah, and, let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. and so he has this dream and his father who has departed this earth, his, his dead dad comes to him in the dream, tells him how proud he is of him and what he's doing. And then goes tomorrow, you're going to find a sheep. He, he walks him through the actual location, right? Like it's the, you're going to go up this valley over this cleft. You're going to look down. You're going to see them there. 200 yard shot wakes up. He tells the guides and then it starts to unfold and the guides are looking at each other. Like they have Merlin in their company or, or like a crazy person. Yeah. And step by step, it, ha- it unfolds as it unfolded in the dream. And he, they start looking at each other like with crazier and crazier looks in their eyes. Like what is happening? He ends up harvesting a dull sheep that night. His two guys end up come, you know, giving their allegiance to Jesus. Because how do you not, right? Like you hear that story, you walk it out. It's exactly as the dream was. And the person who shared it with you is pointing to Jesus the whole time. Like it's amazing. Um, so it's this crazy story, um, better told in full length and, and it's awesome, but it's not going to make this, this round because we have other really great stories that I, I like I'm excited for what it's going to be, but I mean, that that's part of the process too, is deciding what fits, what fits well together, what provides some breathing room. Um, I'm actually really excited about the illustration that we're going to spend too much money on. Just fun things like that. Like there's, there's all of this kind of creativity where again, balance, you can't throw all of your time and all of your money into making it feel totally funky and different and artistic. You want it to be clean and beautiful with great images. And so you have to outsource a lot of that as much as you can. And I remember for volume two, we had to be kind of scrambled. Like it was uh, particularly for the, the Hunter Ainsley interview one, which has some amazing photography. There's that one of the full spread of the boat on the water. Like I wanted that to be the cover. And then we realized we would have had two blue Maybe covers, which blue. apparently is not allowed in the world. So we had to have a different cover. It's cool because inside these projects, there are these mini dreams where when we started a magazine, we knew the kind of articles that we wanted to be writing to a kind of person. Right. But we had this other thing that was we wanted a model that would support writers and designers. A key part of what we wanted to do in Anson's magazine was have a vessel to pay creatives yeah. And so you were talking about the design and now expensive it is and goes, it's kind of this cool thing that's completely invisible, but the part of me that likes achieving loves it because I feel, it feels like meeting a goal where we go, yeah, we have, uh, contracted out some very cool, ambitious illustrations. And the fact that we get to do that is supporting the way we wanted to run Anson's. Totally. Yeah. Cause we had in college so many different artsy friends going to the liberal art schools that we did and the scam that is exposure, the scam that is, yeah, you can write or you can illustrate or you can take photos and we'll, we'll use them and you'll be getting quote unquote exposure by means of payment. Um, that it is a scam and it is killing a lot of the, the younger artists that we knew. And so just to be like at the outset paying 
a meager amount for images, but it was like a rule. Like we wanted to be paying for them. We wanted to be supporting our friends and people that they would connect us to be like, what you do is beautiful and matters. And I want you to keep taking pictures or keep illustrating. And so here's our budget. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But I'm not going to just try and take from you. Um, that was an internal posture that fortunately we've been able to do because (laughs) this project isn't meant to make money. Like we're really, really, really fortunate that, I mean, we're able to essentially give these away. Like it costs 30 bucks for the subscription, but you end up getting currently four copies for the 30 bucks because I'm throwing in a free copy of volume one anyway. Boom. And so it's like, you didn't know that folks these magazines are of a quality that you're meeting with a friend in town who's a magazine enthusiast, like a journal enthusiast. And he's used to paying that much for single copies, if not more. And so it's this really fortunate place where we get to create something beautiful of super high quality at a total loss because there's generous supporters who say like what you do, I believe in and I want you to get it out there. And so then we get to, turn around and be like, Hey, photographers, we get to pay you. (laughs) Isn't this awesome? Oh, I love that part. I'm going to throw this in there for our very attentive podcast listeners. We actually have a promo code that gives you, I don't remember. I I think it's 10% off a subscription to Ansons. I think it's just the code is podcast. The code is podcast. And if that's not it, email us and you'll get it. No, no, that, that will be it. We will make that the code. Anyway, you know that now. Here's another thing that's not going to make it into the issue. So I've been trying to revise a piece that's on having a strat, you know, having a technology strategy and having a, an explicit code of conduct that's derived from that strategy for how you engage online. But I don't really like the piece. So I was trying to write some other pieces. And one of the ones that emerged that there just won't be space for was bad rhetorical habits and are these like hypothetical habits that aren't good right well no good question you know the answer to that question because we share an office and so we talk about rhetoric but rhetoric being the ancient study of how people share meaning and coordinate action so it's not words it's how do you as entities seeking each other knowing each other in an event create meaning, um, share a meaning that's external to you. Anyway, it has to do also with argumentation and persuasion. And here's the two things that I wanted to tell people to do. One is never let people get away with the word just, because when people say just, they swap an argument about nature for an argument about value. When you say just, do you mean like good and just, or do you mean the just that people throw into their prayers probably a thousand times? I mean that one, the just as in only, but applied to, uh, you know, there's like a positive application where I just use Facebook in the afternoon. Ooh. Okay. Is that what you mean? You're getting around to my second one. So can you save that example for a minute? Mm. Um, it's the man, my wife and I, we had a crazy fight. I think our marriage is really on the rocks. And a discerning friend who knows your story might say, 
or you were just fighting as in you were lowering it and Mm. and going, no, 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 that you're, you're saying that that's a very significant thing. It's not a significant thing. You're misinterpreting it. That's a positive application. People do this all the time in like trying to discern what God is up to, especially people who don't believe God speaks and go, or that was just the weather. And and you would go, hang on, let's say you were going to go on a hike, but then storm clouds rolled in and you pray and they move off. You're able to do your hike and you tell a friend and they go, or that was just mountain weather. And you go, hang on, hang on. Let's say it was mountain weather. That doesn't mean the mountain weather is not one of the things that God used to answer a prayer. Like C.S. Lewis has this brilliant point on prayer is one of the infinite series of coordinates with which God has determined reality. And so to go, it might be accurate to say God established the rules of mountain weather to respond to your prayer that day, to clear the rain for your hike. And to go, even though the mechanics might have been like some measurable atmospheric change, that doesn't mean that it wasn't immensely significant in that God was answering your prayer. I see why you've had a hard time getting this into an article length. It does not pare down easily. (laughs) No, and still be intelligible. I love asking people, especially around this, around a life with God, like answered prayer, miracles, hearing the voice of God, any challenge or any challenge of value of like college students are brilliant at this because this is one of the things that uh, called a tactic that higher education institutions can use against culture, can deploy this tactic against the rest of humanity and go, love is just a social survival mechanism and go, wait, 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 why did you use just? Because you just stopped having a conversation about nature and started having a conversation about value. And if you want to make an argument about value that it's therefore not meaningful, you had better make that argument so I can see it and then we can talk about it. What about I just get on social media in the afternoons? What that is an illustration of is that people get wobbly. Uh, People get really agnostic about meaning when you challenge their addictions. And they do it in this cunning way. Um, You make some argument about the way Facebook affects people and they say, yeah, but I mean, it helps you, but it, you know, it has good parts too. As though that were the end of the conversation, right, wrong, is there good? Who can know? And go, (laughs) I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Tell me what the good parts are. Right. Let's review them in view of our understanding of your calling and see if the destructive, if the good parts of your use of social actually outweigh its detrimental effects in your life. Like you can do this anywhere. Like this is the inner debater in you that wants to name a non-excuse actually is the excuse that you're bringing to the table in this particular case. And so a non-excuse doesn't get to just be like, well, we're going to kind of sweep that all under the rug and move on. You're like, no, no, no. You are like, meh, reaction is the reaction you're bringing to the table. And so don't just coast on autopilot with your meh thinking it's like just a permissive thing. Yeah. Round up. Round up the uh, glyphosate herbicide is bad, but it's okay to, I mean, if you don't use very much of it, 
Like, wait, hang on, stop. <laughs> we actually want to do an episode on um, like rhetoric and messaging and marketing and all that because there's that thing, phrases are being thrown around these days that are uh, loaded with connotations. Um, phrases like agenda and you can throw any political parties um, left, right in front of that and instantly the whole thing is dismissible because you've given it this phrase that people throw around. Um, but we want to do this piece on like, are you, are you aware, like take out agenda, just put in rhetoric, put in the, like the ways that people present ideas because everyone is presenting an idea to you all the time. There's the war for your attention. There's the war for you to buy something. And unless you are active in that, you will be passively being sold things. And so yeah, this whole other like, that's one of those conversations that you kind of like drop the penny down the well and it just sort of goes and clunks and you're like, oh, that goes pretty deep. And that's because we've been thinking about that one for a long time. Um, back to volume three. Volume one was really exciting because it was the, I don't know if this is possible. Let's see if we can do this type question. Volume two was exciting because we knew it was doable and we wanted to create another thing on the same par, um, though we didn't have quite as much of a lead time. Volume three, we've had more of a lead time, but it's been filled with things. And so it turns out that might actually be an excuse. And we know that we can hit the same quality. So some of that fear is out of the way. Is it still bringing the same joy to be building a product that we're not outsourcing that much of its construction to like we work really closely with Wookie who we've had in the podcast before as the designer, but it's essentially the three of us and then a printing house. And we like pull in other people. Um, unlike other projects where we're like with film, we're the input and other people are the creating. This is us doing a lot of the creating and bringing in some pieces. Like, is it still bringing that joy for you to have something that feels like it's more in our wheelhouse? That's a good question. Here's the thing that I am liking about this one is we are featuring each time more voices than we have before. And I think that all of the lessons of inspiring high school teachers are echoing in my mind. Stick with it. Accept marginal gains. There is a cycling team represented by a major bike company who has totally like monopolized uh, the strategy of incremental gains of just going, listen, we don't have to, we don't have to have a sensational cyclist. We just have to have somebody who can finish his races one second faster race to race. And eventually we're going to be winning all the championship races. Just this concept of, you know, what is the smallest viable measure of improvement? Cause I feel like some of that is going, okay, we're coming up on 10 years into this thing and going, we have an article from the Free Burma Rangers in this that is pretty unbelievable. And I don't think if we had asked for that article several years ago, we could have gotten it. You know, we have inner city teachers. Uh, we have some writers that, like you've seen before, but then we also have people who we simply met through releasing a real magazine into the world, there are a lot 
of Eldridge articles in this magazine. And I love that. I love getting to write for it. Uh, but also having a platform where like the, the caliber of writer and designer who wants to publish in Ansons is going up. And that is very cool to think of like, oh man, you know, who can we get in volume four? In volume five, there's sort of a short list of people who I would love to say yes when I toss them an email in the future asking for some writing. And it's, mm. I'm excited by seeing that build. Totally. Yeah, because there was a wait to the first uh, couple of years that it was, we were still doing it online and monthly. And a lot of that was like setting the tone and um, creating the culture that doing it all ourselves lets you do. And a lot of people try to do their blogs just by themselves. And so that we had the four of us writing was great. And then we'd pull in contributors every once in a while. And it felt so good to not have to write all the articles ourselves. Um, and yeah, it is really fun to be pulling in other, other voices and know that like the tone is the same, like the culture has been created um, and that it's going to be able to maintain and not uh, just the, the lie of it being all up to you. It feels a little bit like being a small business owner and feeling confident enough in the staff that you've hired to like go away on vacation. I'm not really thinking of anyone in particular here, Sean, but maybe you should, Sean. Take a vacation. Another article that won't make it into this one, we were going to revisit our deep fascination with borderline fixation upon triathlon because by the time this podcast is out there, let alone this issue, you'll have done a 70.3. You'll finally be into the Ironman distances, which you originally wanted to be in. Right now, when it comes to triathlon, what part of the sport slash training are you thinking about, fascinated by? Yeah. So, well, that's just like fun summer adventures for me because I'm I've done three events this year and I've got a fourth. Um, I think I probably do need to end up writing about the first event we did, which was that uh, mountain bike relay. Anyway, I'm supposed to be writing about it. I'm holding off on writing it until I know I actually have to because we're getting pretty close on our article count. <laughs> Just uh, exposing some of my internal world there. But the, uh, the triathlons I've done so far have been building in length and they'll get up um once this podcast airs, I'll have just done it this past weekend. Uh, the, the half Ironman distance. I've been excited about that. It's changed training a little bit, but the actual like events have been the same mental experience as a lot of the solo training, which is also connected to this run I did on my 30th birthday. Um, so I'll take you to that moment. Uh, we're back in California on this trip. I'm in San Clemente on my actual birthday on this beach that we had been at, I don't know, a dozen times to visit our grandma growing up as little boys. And then I was there again when Susie and I were engaged. And so to be there with my two kids on my 30th birthday was this wild experience. And I went for a run and I had done this particular run, uh, 40, 50 times when I was engaged, just thinking about marriage. So it was so crazy to be go doing this run on that day. Um, six years later. Um, 
and I was struck by the fact that when you're doing this training by yourself, like when you're you know creating something by yourself, nobody sees all of those like quiet down moments. Nobody, nobody was watching me go on that run. Like, yes, there were other people, but they didn't know me and they forgot my face as soon as they saw it. Um, everyone that knew me couldn't see me and couldn't see how hard I was pushing or if I was going to walk or give up at certain points. And in that moment, it just like this strong sense of, I want to be the kind of father that has this confidence and this presence that his kids know he's put in the time and he is safe and he is strong and he is capable and he is pursuing God. And, I don't just become that person by being that in those moments. It's all the moments that don't get seen. And that felt very true on that run that day of like, I want to have this level for myself when no one's watching. Um, and so that's popped up in the training that's popped up in the actual events. Um, because yes, in like in the sprint event, I found myself alone for most of the bike. Um, I don't know why, Uh, The people that passed me, passed me quickly and left me behind. And the people that didn't pass me, didn't catch up to me. So I was, it felt very alone. And the voice that was going on in my head was, why are you pushing so hard? Like, you're not going to win this thing. Just go slightly easier. Why are you this? It was the voice of the executioner and Braveheart. This guy, right now, totally just back off the effort a little bit. And it actually felt as sinister. Like, because it truly wasn't that big of a deal. Like, like I was biking on this country road in Boulder, Colorado. It was gorgeous. I was totally enjoying it. But the allure was to go easier and not work hard. And I don't know why that's come to disgust me so much. It's like, no, I can do hard things. And I, this, this whole race is going to take me an hour and a half-ish I can, I can do something hard for that long, like get out of my head. And I had to like push off that voice. I don't know, a hundred times over the course of the race where I'm like, no, I am going to keep running at this pace. Cause I know my body can do it. I'm going to keep biking at this pace. I'm going to keep swimming. Like, ah, so that's been the thing that I I've been focusing on during a lot of the training up to this longer event, because a lot of the pros will talk about the most important muscles, the one between your ears, Tra- like training the mind to like be okay with being uncomfortable. And so that, that's been like my obsession because I love what it requires in the 99% of the time that isn't the actual event. And that's like daily life. And so when I show up at home after a bike ride and I know I've pushed through something difficult, that means I'm feeling all the more equipped to push through something difficult with my kids or with my wife or with our finances. And, um, so I think that's, that's why I I keep going back to that. I'm not just a glutton for punishment, but, um, yeah, to me, it's like, it's not even a stretch to connect it to creating a magazine like this where, and for the most part, there's nobody really watching. Are you going to do it? Are you going to make it as good as you can? Are you going to craft it well? And you keep saying, like, yes, like I, I do want to hit this quality, this this point and, and create this thing that I know is going to be good. Stephen Pressfield calls it resistance. We call it the enemy. It's just anything worth doing is going to be fought.
Other things on the creation of volume three that you're thinking about, you're heavy in the design aspect, hopefully less heavy this year. So you guys know last last volume, Blaine essentially like had to design 99% of the things like Wookiee's super talented and brought a lot of design as well. But it was like, now we're going to do this one for the open door thing. And now we're going to do this totally different thing for the politics. one. it's like, Holy smokes for your sake. I was watching you going, I hope we can outsource some of this because yeah, Wookiee and I were pretty, we had some steam coming to the old years. That's good. A couple things come to mind. One is it's not easy to distill your list of five cigar recommendations. Mm. Uh, I think we're going to land on five that'll end up in here that we're just trying to go sort of the everyman stick. But yeah. things like the San Cristobal revelation Ooh, yeah. won't make it in there. Wait, what? Right. I don't think so. I don't Maybe. I think there's only three on there now. Oh, man. Some of the go-tos have changed around <laughs> don't here. Don't exist anymore. Like, yeah. I don't know. You, you wrote it in the days when a decent man night had to be accompanied by some... Romeo y Julietas, which are still fine, but totally. I don't really come around to anymore. And it was written at a point where cigar smoking was a much more common thing. I think I've had uh, five cigars this year, maybe. Triathlon and dadding are two things that don't always <laughs> lend themselves. Really exactly. Not even just to cigar smoking, but like to, uh, I don't know, like celebration splurging of... I know. It's sad. A celebration splurge is like a beer and some great quality chocolate now. I, the other day, had, was, Emma and I on our off day, we're doing a Nightingale pizza. Oh. I was thinking of you the whole time. I was like, there's this bakery in town. You guys time Sam had bread. And they are bakery six days a week and then a pizzeria one day where they just ruin you for being able to spend $5 on a pizza ever again. One thing, man, I just, I think I'm thinking of the articles and thinking of how interesting it is to try to put together a reading experience that feels coherent across varied content. Um, and then I'm thinking of Right, because we're not making like the road biking magazine where everything essentially has to connect to road biking somehow. We're doing the Soul magazine. Exactly. Which is a broader thing. Which, I mean... Topically, we kind of get all over the place. I don't even know if we have time for that. <laughs> Rabbit trail. Totally. The Soul, the Nefesh, sum total of your being. Yeah. Uh, wow. It is really fun if you are a creative to just begin experimenting with how lengths of things affect uh, the significance of things. We've talked before about Marshall McLuhan and media theory and kind of i uh, I'm sorry. Did you just say how the lengths of things influence the significance of things? Cause I thought it wasn't the length that mattered. <laughs> oh my God. It's the, it's the significance that sorry. matters. <laughs> Uh, but we talked about Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message going. It's 
more important what it is. If you are a filmmaker and you write and you make a one minute version of a film and a 10 minute and a 30 minute, is there actually that much more film there? Have you made like a qualitatively distinct artifact? And as we go from 2,500 word articles to 1,000 word articles to 400 word articles, uh, seeing what happens when you cut off these major pieces. Like we have an article on the current Western cultural assumptions about men, maleness. And if you're missing it, the dialogue is not just building. It has already reached and is disseminating its conclusions on like bottom line, men are dangerous in a bad way. Men need to be managed like and you can look and, you know, cultures are pendulums or oh no, aspirographs. Isn't that the name of the thing that if you you put it in the sand and you twist the needle and basically it's going to make like alternating oscillations, but it's, it's not going to go back and forth. It's going to. Yeah. Yeah. And we so, have those. It, you know, excess is one way are going to be followed by excess is the other way. This got cut this this kind of contemplation on. What do you do when you see the pendulum sort of cross, like when it's crossed center and it's starting to go the other way? And I wonder if I was living in like the 1960s when postmodernism was like really rising to power. I'm like, what would I, what would I have thought if I looked at its reaction to modernism and it was like, what the author meant to do is completely meaningless. And in fact, uh, our relationship with words is completely arbitrary. And when it started making statements like that, no such thing as blank. How would I have engaged that moment as a writer, as someone who has conversations with friends? And like, would I have kind of raised the flag on, oh my gosh, the pendulum has crossed the center line and we're not going to go the other way. We're now going to see the excesses of the other way. Really interesting to think right now where we're decades into what do we do with the violence against oppressed people? What do we do? And it's it's not coming to any resolution. Cultures, because of sin in the flesh, are built on hegemony and inequality. And there is this call for justice. And you go, okay, yes. What do you do when that justice call hits the center and starts to keep going? And like, do you want to be the person who is like raising his hand going historically when you give a group that has been disempowered power, they turn around and do catastrophic violence. So we can guess that that's what's going to happen with basically any of the groups that are having violence done to them right now as there's like a call for justice building and you can look at that with men and women and you can look at the call for justice in the way that our society as a whole uh, positions, treats, evaluates women. And it's crossed the center line and really gone into it's okay to debase men because they had power for so long. And I go, that's the part of like the justice thing the vindictive part of the justice thing where you go, oh, no, see, that's right. I didn't follow you. No. Uh, retributive justice, not really into it. 
justified hatred of the oppressor. I'm not really into that either because no matter who they are, there's like this command to love them. So that's the, in the air with our writers too of going, man, that piece would be an 8,000 word piece. Uh, we're going to slide something in on how, if you are a man, how do you engage the shifting, the shifting verdict on you in your cultural moment? But really interesting to go, what do you do? Right. So that's not like a small conversation at all. Right. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, it's really exciting to get to create something and put it out there um, because the internet basically is a megaphone and the call underneath it, if there's like a little, in my mind, there's a strip of tape and someone has written in a Sharpie for anyone to use. The internet is just grab that megaphone and let the whole world know what you think, what your favorite recipes are, um, what your dog did today. It doesn't matter. And the flip side of that is that no one has to care. Like if anybody can talk, then nobody has to. It's fun to create something physical because it feels like this contribution to the world that actually takes up space and may just be on someone's coffee table or in our warehouse um, or in someone's hands. And like, that's really exciting to like be wrestling with these ideas and be putting them out there and be like, these are the things that we're, we feel are of value. These are the things that we feel Jesus is indicating. Um, I'd say one of the things for me in this volume three is that it's not as difficult as I might have thought it was years ago. And that's because we've been putting in all of this time, like years of writing years of creating a culture, years of creating a tone, years of distilling our values. And so when it comes to putting together this issue, we can do it in like two months. Um, and that's amazing because if, so, if you toss this project to somebody else, um, I don't know that it would be that quick or that easy or doable. Um, and we've had other conversations with folks about that of like, having a vision for something creative and actually finishing it, actually getting it out the door is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, and the lessons we've learned in doing that for me, it actually is inspiring the creation of other personal creative projects, which I'm grateful for. Um, because it actually isn't that difficult by round three to pull off. Like we've got a lot of things in place. We know, who our printer is. We know our design process. We know the flow. We've brought another super talented editor on board to help clean up the copy. Like it's, I think this one's going to go really well. I'm not worried about having a bad product. And because we're essentially giving it away, we have like a soft deadline. Like there's some wiggle room there. There's some grace there, um, which I'm really grateful for because of all of that. It is making me wonder about this, fall and winter season when this project has finished and there's a little bit of lag time for us for the rest of the staff it's the opposite like they kind of have downtime for projects in the summer but historically we've always had projects ramp up whether it's film or print and then come the fall when everybody else is like gearing up for new product releases and events Anson's is like whoo summer huh um so i'm looking forward to that and going they're just these personal projects that I want to apply some of what I know to be true about creativity and finishing things in the print to those, not letting perfect get in the way of good and like 
developing hard set rhythms, having concrete answers in place so that I don't get hung up in the creativity aspect by the dissemination. So I don't get my goals confused as I'm trying to just finish the thing. Um, you're actually being able to segment those is super helpful. So that's like a nice byproduct of feeling like we've got our rhythms on this. So it's like, it's going to take a lot of work and it actually can feel super fragmenting sometimes like this the last two weeks I've felt a little bit fragmented as I come into the office and I'm like, okay, so I know I got to like mail some things. I got to get to some email. I got to, I got to ping different people at different points along this production process. And so I just can feel very split in what I have to do for the day. And that, you know, the, the overwhelmed with so much to do feeling where you just kind of want to go hide. Um, now that like it's inevitable, we're going to hit deadlines. We're going to have things come together. We're going to, have this be in people's hands at some point. And if you're listening, I hope that's your hand. And if you didn't catch the promo code earlier, that's podcast. All right. That's the last time I'm going to do that. Um, I think good things can call out to other good things and creativity can call out other creativity. So at the moment I'm excited about it and excited about the things that I want to do afterwards, which I take to be a super healthy sign. We've talked about this in the past about adventure like with Bart, he was saying, if like you're if you're looking forward to the thing being over, that's probably not a good sign. It used to totally drive me crazy in our early days of dating. And Susie and I would go do some like fun date, a hike. Our very first date was skydiving, and I'm terrified of heights. That's a story for another time. In the middle of those things, Susie would be dreaming about other dates we could do. And I took it as like, this isn't good enough. And I've learned to take it as, oh, she's dreaming because she's really enjoying what she's doing. And so that I am dreaming of other creative things rather than just wanting this to be over, I'm taking it as a very good sign at this point in time. What are you going to work on? Well, two years ago, you and I wrote this uh, project that I really would love to... Oh, that thing. ...to land. Um, I was I looking at that this morning. Were you really? Yeah, I was. No, I, th- I honestly think about that monthly. And even if we only end up printing four copies, one for you, one for me, one for mom, and one for Dan Allender, <laughs> then that's okay. Awesome. What we were just riffing on is so significant that I'm going to provide some active listening executive summary to call attention to. What's hard in any enterprise is building functionally your brand. Who are we? How do we respond to problems? And like protocols come out of the brand. Who are you? Uh, It's interesting that that's true for a family. What's hard is establishing what your values are and like in in them coming out of a deep place inside you, not going like, we're about forgiveness, but we're all very vindictive people, but going like, no, no, we've become forgiving people. And what's hard is establishing the values out of which the actions come in organization, you get the brand nailed and so many of the decisions are made. Like the things float when you go into what does a brand like this do with a film? And it's kind of like, oh, well, one of a few things and we would solve that problem this way. Uh, but it's really, and you talking about like spend years at, spend years with the who am I question, um, you will come out able to engage problems really efficiently. That's going to 
significant and it doesn't matter where the application is like who the i is but family church business and this was a lesson that we got told by our strategist john dale by people that ran other businesses by someone who we've never talked to but who have books we've read seth godin going like spend your time building your like your your deep understanding of who you are and how you do things and and how you know that you've done them and what the world looks like. And then when it comes time to actually pull the trigger on developing a product and the developing of that, the actual artifact is comparatively simple. So go do it, right? (laughs) It does take a lot of work. And it's been super helpful to learn those lessons because I felt a little bit of irritation in those first couple of years, but felt like a lot of belly button gazing as we were trying to define and redefine what we were about, who our audience was, what we were trying to accomplish. And I was like, I thought we had this nailed down from day one, but we kept finding that we didn't have answers to certain questions. And that revealed that we maybe hadn't clarified all of those things. And so irritated though I was to do them again, they have been super helpful in maintaining momentum and things like this. Any any other thoughts on volume three before we land? Any idea what the cover's going to be? In fact, I do know what the cover's going to be. It's going to be green. That's not an image, though. No, I... It's coming out in the fall. It's going to be green? It's going to be green. <laughs> the photographer has to text me back, but it's going to be green. <laughs> All right. My final thought on... Volume three, sit in on an Ann Sons editorial meeting or a pub meeting on, you know, what are we making? What are we doing? And this question will come up of who are you reading? It'll frame itself as have you read this thing or have you seen this thing? It's really interesting for me to observe as just one participant in this creative group that that is a key question. And, and, and the value that's reflected is not so much your individual insight as the conversations that you not even conversations because I don't like that word because it's popular who are your peers is what I mean what are the kinds of people who are interested in that problem uh, thing pastime and this is my kind of plug exhortation for our readers and for the low bar of the volume three is kind of any topic that comes up in your life right now, really interesting to go, who are your peers in that conversation? Who are you with? Who are you reading? Um, because it's really easy to emphasize uh, the individual, like, wh- what are you thinking of? What are your thoughts on that matter? And that's going to pass away in favor of the sort of, like, <laughs> better and therefore longer lasting what is the group of people to which you belong and how do you operate as a member of that group? Therefore, like the books and magazines, plugging myself here, and other artifacts in your world are at least as significant as sort of what you're individually capable of processing. Yeah, there's um, this guy that I remember sharing a story of, he was asked, he gets asked many times, but he was sharing a recent one of someone asked him how to write a book and they, they wanted to write. And his immediate question back was, well, who are you reading? Assuming that if you are in the world of creativity 
and ruminating on values that you must be taking them in. You are not the first person to walk this earth to think these things. You want to be saturating yourself with input and creativity and beauty. And so not that you would copy them, but that they would uh, call to the creativity inside you. I find that now to be super encouraging because it's developed a rhythm that is easy to maintain. But at the time it was like, ah, if I want to write, do I have to like do book reports? Like, is this back to high school? I went back to, I didn't like reading those things. So it's like, well, then read what you find joy in, like engage what you find joy in. And then every once in a while, throw in something that's a little bit more difficult. Um, otherwise we'll only watch the Avengers. So echoing that, it's really good. So guys, that's a sneak into the creation of volume three. We're excited about it. It's going to be out um, late September. So this is kind of an early teaser. That's almost essentially two full months away, but it is what we're in the thick of. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed some of that. <laughs>